Hi, welcome to Adopted Feels, a podcast about anything and everything adoption related. Today, we're talking to another special friend, Lauren Jong. Lauren is, amongst other things, an accomplished ultramarathon and trail runner, an active member of the adoptee community in Seoul, and a soon-to-be law school student. Lauren grew up in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, where she developed a love of hiking and wild spaces. She's hiked the John Muir Trail, a 220-mile backcountry course which summits the tallest mountain in the contiguous 48 states. While walking was traditionally more her speed, Lauren turned to ultra-trail running when she moved to Korea. She has podiumed 10K, half-marathon, marathon, 50K, 50-mile, and 100K distances. In 2017, she finished second place in her debut 50-mile trail race, and she once won a race up the stairwell of the fifth tallest building in the world. She currently runs for Hokowon Korea and Patagonia Korea, and can often be found training with her beloved and very fit dog, Bilbo McBless. Hannah first met Lauren in late 2017, when Lauren generously facilitated her first running clinic for adoptees in Seoul. Through this group, Lauren fostered a sense of belonging for newcomers like Hannah and created a sense of community akin to that which she'd found herself in the trail running community of Korea. In this episode, Lauren reflects on the early days of moving to Korea almost six years ago, what running means to her, and preparing to close this chapter of her life to commence law school. One last thing before we get started. About 47 to 48 minutes into this episode, we refer to Adam Krapser's landmark lawsuit against adoption agency Holt and the Korean government for gross negligence regarding his own adoption and lack of U.S. citizenship and many other fraudulent and unethical adoptions. If you're interested in finding out more about Adam's case, we've put a couple of links in our episode notes. Thanks for being on our podcast, Lauren. Yay, thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, So let's just dive right in. Uh, So you moved here, um, you moved to Korea about five years ago, right? Yeah, five and a half years ago. Wow. Um, So I already know personally, but... Would you mind like telling us, yeah, why you moved here? Um, and I know that you had like a minimum commitment to like be here for for three years mm-hmm. um, in mind at the very beginning. Uh, yeah, so I moved um, to Seoul in August of 2014, and then at the time, it was it all happened kind of quickly actually. So um, I was adopted to the states with another Korean adoptee, um, so my brother was a year older than me and we're not biologically related but we both went to the same family and grew up together and then um I think I at least hear with adopted families that often happens where like one sibling tends to be more interested in Korea and the other one not and that was definitely the case with my brother and I so growing up he had been way more interested in Korea and interested in Asia in general um he wanted to I think moved to Korea to do a birth search so he just had a lot of um of general interest in being an adoptee whereas I didn't so much have that um but then in 2013 he ended up um getting incarcerated and sentenced to prison and so um when I was sort of processing through that um I think like the way I ended up processing I guess like his crime and his sentencing and, and all the stuff that was happening at the time was through um, 
was through Korea. Yeah. So it hadn't been something I was interested in, but because it was something he had been interested in, it was like, for me, a way to sort of understand my relationship with him and him in a way. And so um, after he was sentenced, pretty much, I started looking into Korea myself. And at first I was interested in like attachment issues and, and looking into things that um, maybe sometimes adoptees have that my brother might have had that I wouldn't have been aware of because mm-hmm. I was not super like woke to adoption issues at right. the time. Um, but yeah, so then I, I moved to Korea, I guess, out of all that aftermath. So, mm. Wow. So it was kind of, I'm wondering, like, it was a way of also maybe throwing yourself into a very big project, a very big undertaking, uh, as a way of, like, processing all of this stuff that had recently happened to your brother. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it, it just felt kind of like this, like, big, messy, intractable problem that was not something that I could personally do anything to solve or to figure out, but, like, the one area that was movable, <laughs> that, that was something that I could do was like delving into this aspect of our identity that I had not looked into before. Um, and so I think that was where that curiosity came from. Yeah. Can I ask if you sort of shared that process with him? Um, a bit. Yeah. So we stay in contact over this sort of like email system mm-hmm. and, um, it's still a bit awkward. Yeah. I mean, we don't really talk about like, what he did or like why he did it. So there are certain uh, areas of conversation that for whatever reason we just can't really go into, that things are sort of closed off. But um, Korea is also like not an area that's closed off. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's awkward. Like when someone's in prison and your entire relationship um, with them and your frame of reference for how you can communicate with them has changed, um, uh, you're like left with nothing to talk about. But mm-hmm. I like for me being able to talk about Korea and him being able to ask questions about this place that um, he's never been at. It's been almost like the only safe topic <laughs> that we mm-hmm. have to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you really didn't know much about Korea or living here or the adoptee community before you decided to come here, but mm-hmm. you committed yourself to three years. Yeah, yeah. My reasoning for that was that I wanted to do language study. I knew that would take a while. And then also, um, just logistically, in order to make things work, I basically needed to, like, sell off and get rid of everything I had. (laughs) So, like, I sold my car, and, like, that money ended up being the money that I used to get over to Korea and start living here. Um, So, yeah, I sold basically everything I owned except for my bicycle and a box of books. Um, Because also, I was like, where where am I going to store, like, this other stuff that I have? I have to move out of, like, my house with my housemates, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the last consideration was just that having moved to a city after I graduated college, I figured, like, it took me a full, almost two years to feel like this is home. And that was in America, you know? So it just, like, takes time to, like, build a community and find your spots and, um, not feel lonely. (laughs) So I, I just figured even to live in Korea, it would take, yeah, a while. That just strikes me as, like, really sensible and intelligent and mature. <laughs> Especially for someone that was, like, in their, what, early to mid-twenties? Mm, it was 24 yeah. at the time, yeah. Yeah. I think I could have researched it better, though, <laughs> you know? Like, there, <laughs> and there, things could have been done differently. <laughs> so did you yeah. have um, communications with any adoptees here before you moved? 
Sort of no. <laughs> so I knew one adoptee um, who... So I was living in Seattle at the time, and I met her through another person in Seattle. And so I knew her, but she actually moved back to Seattle about a month before I moved to Korea. Wow. So I didn't know anybody in Korea at the time, but I knew somebody that had recently left. Mm. And so she, you know, she had kind of told me, like, oh, you know, there's this one person there. You should try to meet them while you're there. So that gave me, like, a little, yeah, a little connection. Wow. Like, yeah, like one. <laughs> yeah. One, yeah, that's... yeah. <laughs> two, actually, yeah. I mean, yeah, two, two people. Um, so I know you've also mentioned that, like, in, in the early days, you were living in, like, a kind of gross apartment that reminded <laughs> you of, like, the, the half, the semi-basement apartment in Parasite, uh-huh. the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also about an incident with your teeth <laughs> and like so I was just wondering if you could like share these these um, traumatic <laughs> incidents <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> uh it was a rough first year in Korea oh I mean I also want to say like I think with planning it and also maybe just like a little less ignorance because I, I mean there's a huge community here but I just didn't know how to like connect to it or tap into it really um that would have made things easier. <laughs> um, but because I just sort of like moved and didn't really have a lot of connections and didn't take the time to build them before I came, that was part of why it was so difficult. The other thing that made things difficult was like, I didn't have Korean language and um, I ended up reuniting in around my fourth month in Korea. So it was just like a lot of stuff all at once mm-hmm. that made the year generally challenging. Um, but those two, those two instances in particular, um, yeah, when I watched Parasite, and then I was reading, um, like, recaps and reviews about it, and people were talking about this, like, you know, their super sketchy, almost uninhabitable apartment, I was like, oh, that, uh, that looks about like what I was living in. <laughs> yeah, so my first apartment was, like, um, ooh, not, not Panjiha, so it was, like, on the roof of a building, it was on um, the roof of a fourth floor walk-up, and it's called an oktap, and it's literally just like a tacked-on structure. It's like tacked on illegally to the roof of a building. Um, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so it was this little shack, basically, that was made out of like the same material that um, like train shipping containers, you know, like the corrugated metal. Wow. So it was not insulated. It was like this yeah. weird metal um, stuff, anyways. And then the floor was pavement although it was covered with like you know the sort of like plastic laminate flooring but you could just peel it up and see which as I did because also I had this like massive roach problem and so you literally just yeah. have to like peel back the um the flooring and just start like you know killing things like with your whack-a-mole. shoes oh yeah it was disgusting oh. and um it was so sketchy it was not up to code like so <laughs> you would walk in and like there were wires hanging down from the ceiling in one corner um, I had this tiny, tiny little bathroom that um, didn't have, like, a single light fixture in the entire bathroom, which is, like, also good because uh, I, like, just have a feeling you don't want to see, like, what is in the bathroom because oh, it was pretty gross. <laughs> and then I had, like, one tiny window, and it was so, it was, like, I don't know, I still think in inches. It was maybe, like, eight inches. It was, like, a, a tiny, like, eight-inch window. It was about this big. I don't know, eight inches by, like, 10 inches maybe and that was the only window only, yeah. in the entire little structure yeah um oh my god how'd you find this place uh my korean mom helped me find it uh-huh. yeah i mean i didn't really have money at the time because i yeah. recently moved and was burning it for language school basically and yeah. then she um 
helped me with the deposit. Mm-hmm. So we like pooled money and got a, a place on Jensei, which is like where you put up a, a relatively large sum of money to pay somewhere without or to live somewhere without paying rent. But when you don't have much money, your Jensei is tiny. <laughs> and so like the Jensei that we put up for my apartment is, I want to say like a fifth of what you would normally put down for oh, a one okay. room. So we had like next to nothing. So we were looking at like the scariest, sketchiest <gasps> apartments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So when did you get out of there? Ooh. <laughs> Spicy. So I want to hear the, the escape story. <laughs> I moved out actually because the landlady um, would like walk up to my apartment like any time of day, like 4 a.m., 2 p.m., and she would just jiggle the handle and try to get in without knocking. Um, she would just like treat it like it was her own place and would try to burst in all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard that's kind of like common, but but that sounds like an extreme case. Still. It was a little intrusive, <laughs> yes. Um, and she, I think she, so she swapped out the like gas range stove with one that broke before I moved in, and so there were all these kind of like weird little occurrences that were happening like that. And my Korean mom was like, "You have to get out of there." So yeah. um, we lied and told her that I needed to move to America. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although then she tried to steal my deposit, our deposit. So she, um, she lied and told the realtor that she gave it back to us in cash because she was trying to keep it. Um, but the realtor luckily didn't believe her. So we ended up getting it back. And then I moved to an apartment, which was actually maybe worse than the first one. Oh, shit. Really? (laughs) Certainly grosser, yeah. Um, and then I ended up getting entirely bought out. So they destroyed the entire city block that I had been living in. They kicked everyone out and then, um. I think it's now like a mall or something. It's like over by E-Day. Mm. Yeah. Which was a kind of blessing in disguise then? That was also a terrible apartment, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. Yeah. And, yeah, can you also share the, the tooth <laughs> incident? <laughs> the infamous tooth incident? <laughs> just because, I mean, when I hear these stories, I'm like, did you think about just, like, kind of quitting and going back to the U.S.? Did oh. that ever cross your mind? It did not. Uh, mostly because you're just kind of stuck in it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, yeah. Okay, so when I was um, on my 89th day, this is an important number of days in Korea. On my 89th day, I went out drinking with this friend from college um, who was like kind of notorious in college for being a little bit of a wild and unpredictable um, drunk. And so they were just visiting, just visiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She was there to see the person she was dating at the time and she got wasted, which is often what happened. And then (laughs) I was like, you know, moderately drunk and, you know, having fun. And we were standing at this um, street corner waiting to cross. And, um, in a way that is just, if you knew my friend in college, it would make perfect sense to you. She, um, she grabbed me and oh, so it was winter. So it was, this was in November. It was pretty cold at the time. And so I was like standing at this crosswalk huddled with my hands in my pockets and my like shoulders up by my ears, you know, cause it was so cold. Mm-hmm. And she just grabs my arm. Um, well, we still don't have the light. So there's all these cars going by and tries to run us across the, the street into the oncoming traffic. I think she just didn't want to wait. And she was wearing high heels and she tripped, but because my hands were in my pockets and she had linked arms with me to pull me, um, I, I didn't, I couldn't catch myself. So I caught myself on my open mouth (laughs) and my teeth. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I like broke a tooth and like chipped another and 
killed another, so it's like dead and oh. they have to drill it out. And this all happened, yeah, on my 89th day, which is important because in Korea you can't register for the National Health Insurance Plan until you've been here for 90 days. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, it was uh, yeah, it was traumatic. We had to like get in a cab and go to like um, the 24-7 medical center at Yonsei, like their emergency dental wing. <laughs> and you had like, I guess, blood streaming from your mouth. Actually, I don't, I didn't really hit my lip. Well, no, I guess I hit my bottom lip. Mostly my teeth. <laughs> and neither of you spoke fluent Korean. So we were with her partner who spoke oh. Korean. Luckily. Oh my god. That's yeah. the Actually, only lucky thing about that That's really the only lucky, oh. yeah. Because if it had just been me, like, I wouldn't have even known where to, like, go. go yeah. yeah. I would have just been truly SOL. Oh my god. Yeah. It was a rough first year. <laughs> <laughs> but despite all of those things, you never, you were like, no, I'm here for three years, like, yeah. just like, doing it. Looking to the future, like, what's the next step? Uh, yeah, but I mean, at that point in time, it was literally just like, the next step is definitely the dentist the next right, morning. Right, right. <laughs> there are no other options. <laughs> and I guess it's like, it had already um, been an investment to, to move mm-hmm. you know, from the US, so it's like, it, you'd also have to like, move back. gather money to, yeah. And then I wouldn't have had insurance, and in the States, you know, that means, like, yeah. it would just would have been so much money to try to go get it fixed, so. And, and this was bef- before you met your Korean mom then? Yeah. Although then it was funny. We met and she had recently been, funny is not the right word. She had recently, it was coincidental. She had recently been in a car accident and Mm. like knocked out one of her teeth too. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, the timing. (laughs) Anyway. So you also mentioned how um, you were like intensively studying Korean during Mm. the first year. Mm -hmm. And now your Korean... I think it's, it's pretty good, right? Like, I don't know, it's, you're, you're definitely conversational, you're, I mean, I don't really know how to exactly, um, quantify, like, fluent, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, I think you're, you're semi-fluent, for sure. Um, can you tell us about, like, what, what that took, like, what that process really looked like? So, um, before I came, I did not know how to say hello. I was coming from a base of literally zero Korean. Um, no, you didn't. You couldn't read the alphabet. Couldn't read the alphabet. I had yeah. not seen Korean really before. Um, and truthfully, like I probably could have studied a little like on my own before I came, but because I was also like selling all my belongings and breaking up with a long-term partner and like saying goodbye to people and quitting. A- yeah, so it's just like <laughs> I just like can't. I'll figure this out when I land. This is too much. Um, and so, yeah, um, but I had also applied for one of the Gulf scholarships, and so I basically landed, and then a week later I started level one, um, at E-Day. Yeah. And then, um, I studied at, yeah, I studied at E-Day for one term, and then after that I switched over to Sogong University, and then I studied at Sogong through five, level five, and And yeah. So each level takes half a year? Uh, about three months. I'll do right, it's quarter. ten yes. quarters. Yeah, okay. it's a quarter. And um, yeah, I think truthfully, so before I moved to Korea, I also had not traveled internationally before, and so like my struggles with language and immersion was almost unintentional. So like, like it would be really obvious maybe if you had traveled to another country where you don't speak the language that you can try to default to English and just make it work. Um, but because I had never traveled before, I like that thought literally never occurred to me. So I, you know, like you'd go in to order something and I would just either 
point at things or like hack it with my terrible Korean as I was learning. And so, yeah, I, I literally like it. I, I want to say it took me a full like two years of living here before it finally dawned on me that like you can just switch into English and vice versa. Um, but wow. I, I know it's, it's, it sounds stupid, but I just truly yeah. hadn't like made that connection. And because when you're Korean, people look at you and they don't think to speak in English, you know, mm -hmm. as they would if you're white. So everyone would speak to me in Korean and I would either say nothing or yeah. Or, um, yeah. Yeah. Or but in a way that's Korean. like quite a, um, quite an amazing strategy to learn Korean if you like, if, if you can be like, actually, I'm not ever going to use English. Like, uh, I'm just going to point and use my basic Korean. I truly <laughs> just didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, so I have this funny memory from my, like, maybe I'd been in language school for a month at that point, and this was when I was, um, I think, I, I guess I would have been at E-Day then, and still in level one, and I went to this, like, local mart to get some food, and... I like okay so in the states when you like go to buy bananas they come in these like huge bunches and you just like pick off however many bananas you want and then they weigh it and you buy it and you leave yeah. and so it, it didn't That's occur not to what me happens here. no that is not what happens here so I broke off like three bananas and went to go check out and the woman just started shouting at me because you're not allowed to do that here you have to buy the whole thing <laughs> but I didn't know that and I didn't know what to say and I, I did I didn't have the Korean to respond and also I didn't think to say I'm sorry in English because I didn't think to try English, and so I just literally like ran out of the store, I, like dropped the bananas, and was like, I can't do this. Oh, that sounds <laughs> yeah. so stressful. <laughs> I've had so yeah, yeah, it's completely yeah. understandable. Yeah. yeah, so it was sort of like unintentional immersion um, for one thing, and uh, why did you switch from Ede to Saga? Um, well, actually, at the time, the scholarship I was on um, was only for one term also, because mm. I think at that time, the first, at that time with goal, if you went to E-Day, it would cover full tuition, mm -hmm. but you could also only do it once. Right. Um, okay. And then I probably could have stayed on there and found another scholarship through, like, maybe Incas or something, but um, also by that point, I had heard about how Sogong was, was the school to go to if you wanted to practice speaking. Um, so yeah, I transferred to Sogong for that reason. Yeah, and it was, it was definitely better for speaking in your uh, experience? Yeah, I felt like it. Well, Sogong's nice because they um, do a lot of like small group activities and you like practice things like going to the store and doing, <laughs> and, like having these interactions. Whereas at E-Day you would like memorize a dialogue and then you would mm. just like say the dialogue with the teacher with the PowerPoint in front of you. So it was a lot more um, like static. Mm. Yeah, yeah, same with Yonsei. Oh, yeah. Do you have any like general advice for people who are um, currently like learning Korean at the beginner levels, or mm. I yeah, don't know like any any Words tips and things that like, <laughs> that like you found really oh. useful? Um, hmm. hmm. I think my biggest tip is that like I think as adoptees we have like shame around using Korean when it doesn't come out correctly. But, like, my feeling on that is that anytime you're using Korean, you're using Korean. Like, if someone's understanding what you're saying, you're getting the idea across, then, like, you are speaking Korean. And yeah. so, like, I, I feel like when I started learning, I would just, like, beat myself up over mistakes, and there's just, like, no need to do that, <laughs> you know? Like, mm. if you're speaking in Korean, like, you're using Korean, and, like, that in itself is an accomplishment. So, um, yeah, I think for people who, like, maybe... Um, want perfection or like expect that of themselves it can be really tricky yeah um, so I think there's like uh, just a lot of value in 
um, being a little chill. <laughs> a little chill with yourself when you're learning because it's difficult. Yeah. It was also like um, after you moved to Korea that you um, kind of became more serious about your running, right? Mm -hmm. And before that you were like just, you were genuinely an amateur runner in the US. Yes. Yeah. So before I moved to Korea, I did, okay, so I had run one marathon, but that was like out of sheer like ignorance and stupidity that I ended up running it. <laughs> so at the time I was dating this um, like tall white dude who was very confident and he had run in high school cross country. And so when we were talking about like setting some sort of goal, like for the new year, you know, we, we threw out this idea of like, oh, what if we did a race? And then I, of course, was like, what about a half marathon? Um, to which he basically responded like, well, half marathon's what I do in practice. You know, that's like not really <laughs> difficult. We should just do the full marathon. Otherwise, it's not worth the money. And so, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like at this point, you know, I would run maybe, maybe like 10 kilometers a week. Like I was not an avid runner. Um, but so, um, we trained <laughs> to, to do a half marathon or the marathon, which meant at least for me, like I skipped almost every run in the middle of the week and then would um, sometimes do the long run and like not always all of the long run. <laughs> and so I, um, yeah, so the summer before I moved to Korea, I came in August and I think that June I ran a full marathon and it was miserable <laughs> and the worst experience ever. Um, yeah, it was terrible. But I finished. <laughs> we yeah. finished. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how did um, how did running become like this this thing in your life, like this passion, and um, how did that grow? Well, I guess you know, like like maybe what is running then for you, for you? Like it's Ooh. a passion, but like what does it do for you, or like mm. what place does it have in your life here? I think um, it changes. Like, what running has meant to me has meant different things in different stages of living here. So, um, when I first moved here, for example, and actually when I was living in that sketchy, um, sketchy oak top apartment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, one, the one on the roof, um, I actually, and so at that point I was in language school and was like scrapping together weird part-time tutoring jobs to stay afloat. And so I basically literally had no money to do things. <laughs> so running became like recreation, right? Or like mm. like ah. exciting get out of the apartment time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely started running more then. So it was just a hobby, a recreational hobby at yeah, first. Yeah. I think it was just a way to like um, do something. Oh, so the other thing was that before I was staying in that sketchy apartment, I was staying in a guest house with other adoptees. Which is great, but I'm also an introvert, and so um, it is challenging to be like using Korean all day, and then like shuttling across the city to hit weird tutoring in the afternoon, and then you yeah. come home, and then it's, so you're just like around people all the time. So I, they, I also started running um, because I just like wanted to get away from people. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, get away from people, or like get out of my apartment. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but <laughs> I think as I started doing it um, more and more, then it became like community or um, like a way to a way to see progress and improvement in my life in a way that I liked. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and in the context of an otherwise like uh, unpredictable life in Korea, right? Mm. Which you know, it is unpredictable. I think in the first couple of years, especially. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Hmm. So how did the community around your running start? Like, did you, did people just say like, hey, can I run with you? Oh. Like, how did that, how did that um, start? So, um, because and now my framework for running is like you sign up for a race that you are not qualified to do and then you just show up and you do it <laughs> from having run like that in America. I moved to Korea and, you know, I've been like running on um, like the stream or on the Han or like places around the city. And I thought like, why not try a race? And so I, I think I Googled like trail running Korea. And one of the first results I found was this um, 100 kilometer stage race on Jeju Island. So it's 100 kilometers split over three days. Um, and I thought, like, I'll just try that. And so... Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And you'd never really, like... I had not run trail. trail. No. Yeah. No. But, okay, but I used to hike a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, I really like, like, mountains and hiking and backpacking. And so, like, okay. for me, that felt like, oh, it's, like, nice two... Yeah, it's, like, yeah. two hobbies, and you just, like, add them together, right? Um yeah, so I signed up for that race. But so you don't have to run with like a, a tent or anything, do you? No, but I brought so much stuff I didn't need on my first race because I didn't know. I was like, oh, like I'll bring a knife with me. And like, I think I had like a little compass. It was, oh. yeah, maybe like a bowl. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you don't need any of that stuff. <laughs> so I signed up for this race and I didn't know anyone. And also, I think at that point, maybe I was in level three Korean, which gives you like some good fundamentals, but like you're not great at using it yet. And I especially wasn't because I wasn't like having the, the chance to practice with a lot of Koreans. Mm. Um, but I showed up in Jeju at this gym. I had to like take three buses. I mean, I flew obviously, but I took like three buses because it wasn't in Jeju city. It was like way down South. And I yeah. showed up at this gym and, um, you sleep in the gym and then you wake up in the morning and at like 4am or whatever, you like go to the race location and then you, you run and then each day you come back to the gym to sleep. Right. Oh, okay. Um, but I like walked into this gym and it was very intimidating cause there were all these, um, you know, runners there and they all have like their sleeping bags laid out and I didn't know anyone. And then this, um, these like very kind Ajushis saw me like walking in by myself and I like clearly didn't have friends and they were like, oh, like come sit over here. You can sleep <laughs> over here. <laughs> um, yeah. And truly like by the end of that weekend, like I had like met these like kind of like Ajushis that like taken me under their wing and they, like took me out drinking with them. Like also, why would you drink soju when you're running the next day? But we did. And, um, and then because they were like, oh, we feel so bad for you. You don't have any like young friends. So they kept trying to like introduce me to younger runners. They like, oh, yeah. To yeah. Yeah. It was really sweet, yeah. Um, and so that was like the first time where I was like, oh, this is like, one, a different side of Korea I haven't seen mm. before, and like two, it feels like my people, you know, in a way where like walking around Hongdae, I'm not yeah. like, oh, these hipsters, these feel like my people. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know, or like, yeah. Um, but, you know, like I've always liked the outdoors, and so going there and being like, oh, it's like outdoorsy people who seem very, very chill and, um, I don't know. Yeah, I like that. Wow. I, mean, I just, it just strikes me like th that's such a, I think, a brave and adventurous thing to do. You sign up for this event, you haven't really done any trail running. Like, you, you had s some limited, I guess, at that point, understanding of what trail running is. I did start running after I signed up, though. And you just like, go and do this event in Jeju. So you have to like, you have to fly there and you don't know anyone. 
Yeah. But again, again. And it's a, a 100k event. I, yeah. I guess, I don't know if that's standard for trail running. That's like, that's really long. <laughs> it's split between three days, so it's, it's more yeah. reasonable. But yeah, again, also there's like another theme, which is that there's a little bit of like ignorance involved because I'm just Googling blindly and pulling like the first thing I see. And you know, there are trail races in Seoul. I just like didn't know how to find them, okay. you know? Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like it, it was a... A successful experience. Yeah. And then from then you've, you like win awards and shit and like you're sponsored and stuff. Yeah. Right? Like tell us about like <laughs> that um, one, like that first trail run to like where you are now. Yeah. Um, that first trail run was also difficult. <laughs> I, I, well, so I bought a pair of shoes, um, like two days before I ran the race cause I didn't have a pair of trail shoes. And any experienced runner would tell you it is a terrible idea to wear a brand new pair of shoes that you've never tested out to a very long event. <laughs> it's like breaking like the cardinal rule of marathoning, for example. Um, uh, so yeah, I had some like footwear issues. Um, I was not prepared at all for like the distance or the elevation, but um, I still ended up finishing, of course, and it was a lot of fun. And so yeah, after that, I kept I kept. Running, I th- I started running with like a road running crew in Seoul, mm-hmm. and then through that road running crew, it's a Korean road running crew. Um, then I met other trail runners, and then through those trail runners, I started like learning about other races and also how to find races. <laughs> um, and yeah, I started racing more, and as I practiced more, I got better at it. And so yeah, that that's how I yeah. Then I ended up doing well and getting some sponsorships, and yeah, things sort of ended up snowballing, I guess. So um, how many, like, races would you would you typically do, like, each year? Um, oof. so I also, um, have been injured, <laughs> so that kind of affects it, yeah, so <laughs> I have, like, um, scoliosis and this weird, like, misalignment issue with my hips, knees, and back, and pelvis, and so, um, I pretty much wasn't able to run for almost all of 2018, but when I'm healthy, I would say, um, maybe, like, five Races wow. a year uh, of like longer ones. Maybe I throw in some shorter mm-hmm. ones too. And you still prefer trail over road? Yeah, yeah. Road's like a different kind of difficult. Um, yeah, it's its own beast. But I, I think trail running is a little bit more my style. So I have another question. I know that you've also at least once you've done this event, which is basically like climbing. Like, it's running a hundred flights of stairs or something as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, like, no nice scenery involved, I guess. It's just, like... Yeah. I'm just curious, is that just about, like, the personal challenge of, like... I mean, it, it sounds very painful. And, <laughs> I think, honestly, I look at something like that and I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good training session, you know? Like, uh, get a yeah. bunch of stairs in and, like, that seems like good stimulus for your legs. But no, I'm not like passionate about <laughs> running upstairs because no one is. That sounds terrible. <laughs> okay, so it's like, it's an event that you can do that will um, push you to, to train. Yeah, you yeah. have to train for it. So it's like incorporating, yeah, making sure you... Oh, I don't actually train for it. Um, but like, you know <laughs> that when you're trying like... So, okay, so in, in running, anytime you do something at your max effort, like that is a huge kind of shock to your body. And then, um, it's like the way exercise adaptation works and it's like the same in weightlifting or I think most sports is that you stress your body to a point where it's challenged and, um, then it's 
when your body heals from that, that then you see gains. So like, um, with running, maybe you like accumulate damage in the form of little tears in your muscle fibers from a really strenuous effort. But then when it heals, like within maybe a week, they're stronger. And so, um, I'm a bit too lazy to train for stairs, but like the idea of going like, oh, I can go do something at a max effort and then I will gain from that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And you have won that event as well, by the way, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. You're like, but I was, that, that's just training. But I did win. <laughs> it is actually, um, so, so that race in particular, it's 123 flights of stairs up the, um, the fifth tallest building in the world. Um, but it is horrible because, like, I want to say every 10 flights of stairs, there's, like, a little aid station where um, these, like, volunteers will, like, spray pasta on you. It's, like, that, like, menthol um, um, stuff that's, like, very cooling. It's kind of, like, oh. like icy hot, but in spray form. Like, just all over you? like Or, like... <laughs> well, I mean, so people will stop and say, like, oh, my knees hurt. Can you spray my knees? Uh. But then as a result, you're running up this this not ventilated stairwell so you're just like breathing it in the whole time and also because people are so sweaty from going up this again like not ventilated stairwell literally the stairs start to get wet like there's sweat and it's just oh it's it's pretty gross actually (laughs) what runs through your mind i'm just kind of curious like i mean when especially like when you're nearly at the end or maybe like right in the middle and it feels like you've still got like a long way to go i mean are you thinking thoughts like <laughs> at that point i think actually you're so tired you can't even count down so the each stair level is labeled so every time you go up a flight you see which number you're on but actually you're so fatigued that you can't even think <laughs> um, yeah but i would say like with stair running in particular unlike trail running there's a lot of technique involved because um for example you know when you're going around a stairwell, like there's the part where you turn to walk up the next flight of stairs. And if you were to just walk around it like a normal person does when you're walking up the stairs, you're probably taking six steps because you have to like walk forward and then turn and keep walking. Mm. But if you, for example, reach over the stairwell as you're making that corner and then you can um, pivot using one leg, it cuts off like five steps. Um, which over the course of a race ends up being quite significant. Mm. So yeah, with stairs, it's interesting. There's a lot of like, yeah, you you have to, you just like, you develop something that works and then you keep doing it. And you were like learning that while you were doing it. Um, I sort of practiced, but the stairwell was different than what I practiced on. So it wasn't Mm. super useful. And then also as your muscle Mm -hmm. groups start to fail, which they do, then you have to change your strategy. (laughs) Like, you know, because like your, your, um, quads for example just get so fatigued like it actually becomes hard to lift them properly so then you have to start for example pulling instead with your arms oh wow yeah. <laughs> and you didn't have to go down you just go up oh god no yeah okay. just up <laughs> that would have been terrible <laughs> so, i was curious if you um had thoughts on like the role of deliberate practice and training versus like natural talent in running or in like um athletic stuff in general like do you think for you do you think you you had a a natural aptitude for running um I mean so because you're like my height right which is like five foot zero (laughs) (laughs) so it's like I don't know what people think of when they think of like a 
an ultra marathon runner or like a trail runner, you know, but like I never like before meeting you, I never kind of pictured like someone that like looked like me. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just um, yeah, I'm curious um, just generally on your thoughts on that. Um, actually, well, one quick aside mm. that I learned that I thought was interesting is that actually, so I used to think that marathoners were really tall because when you see them running on the screen or whatever, like they're so slender and graceful and they look very long limbed, but mm. um, most elite runners are actually really quite petite. So I think like, um, like Des Linden who won the Boston marathon a couple years ago, I think she's only five, two, maybe mm. five, three. So she's actually, she's really short. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, sorry. Um, one thing, I don't have a natural runner's build, um, for one thing, like I'm not, I don't have like that really slender build that a lot of runners have, I'm a bit sturdier, and um, I also like, um, I think it cannot be natural aptitude because my like spine and hips and like, uh, mm-hmm. I'm all out of alignment, I have all sorts of issues with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's mostly just like, mostly just training and practice. And then also, like, doing a lot, I think you just, like, because I'm so injury-prone with, like, my scoliosis or whatever, it also means, like, doing a lot of work to stay, like, um, able to run. Like, doing strength exercises to, like, keep things together. Do you enjoy that kind of, that repetitive training, or is it is it boring? Like, do you, mm. does it get, um, is it hard to motivate yourself to do that kind of, like, day-to-day more boring stuff? I have phases, so I um, I think when you have like a goal in mind or a big race coming up, it can get really exciting because you're like seeing your progress as you train and like you're feeling excited about going to the race. Um, but then also, yeah, I mean the reality of it is is that when you're running for ten to fifteen hours a week, it's like gets pretty boring. And like your friends are out, you know, drinking or you're hungover and you want to be like lying in bed, but instead you're like, I have to go like run for five hours and that that fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. just nobody wants to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I have ups and downs. So I ran this um, hundred kilometer race in two thousand nineteen, eighteen. I don't know, a couple of years ago. And um, I had like all these really big goals going into it. Um, I wanted to place top ten, and it's a pretty major race. And so I like put in what I thought was the training that would get me there. And then for whatever reason, on the day, I just, like, fell flat and my stomach was a mess, Mm. which also is because you shouldn't eat um, barbecued duck the night before. (laughs) That was, like, a big mistake. (laughs) 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 Um, But, yeah, after that point, I, like, because I tanked so badly at this race that I had been, like, literally training for for six months, Mm. I lost motivation for, like, a good eight months afterwards. (laughs) I, like, couldn't really get going. Yeah. Yeah, so at this point, I was, um, I just thought it would be kind of like fun. We might end up cutting this out, but um, to give you the grit questionnaire. So, <laughs> because I'm assuming that you'll score very highly. Um, grit is this like, yes, yeah, a personality trait. It's um, that was kind of like invented a few years ago by this um, psychology professor, Angela Duckworth. Um, and it's, it's like a kind of a, a combination of um, passion and perseverance 
and resilience. Um, <laughs> and just to sh- showcase Lauren's score later on, Hannah and I will take it just to show a comparison. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, well, I think yeah, I think I might be like you'd be pretty low hard. to mid. No. Oh. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so it's just ten questions. And then I think we can, like, get the score, like, immediately. So this is very exciting. Okay, so for every question, <laughs> you can, um, you have to select either um, very much like me, mostly like me, somewhat like me, not much like me, or not like me at all. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number one. <laughs> New ideas and projects sometimes distract me from previous ones. Probably not much very like me. Like, like two out of five. Yeah, 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 exactly. Number two, setbacks don't discourage me. I don't give up easily. Oh, that's probably like a all five. Yeah, 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 yeah five. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I often set a goal, but later choose to pursue a different one. It's probably like a one. Not like me at all. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Pretty summer. You're going to score like off the charts. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. so excited. <laughs> okay. I am a hard worker. Like a four? I have difficulty maintaining my focus on projects that take more than a few months to complete. This also sounds like a Taurus. (laughs) It's like a quiz for Taurus. (laughs) (laughs) I finish whatever I begin. That might be a three. Yeah. Okay, somewhat like me. My interests change from year to year. Two. I am diligent. I never give up. Might be a five. Yeah. I have been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time, but later lost interest. Two. I have overcome setbacks to conquer an important challenge. Four. (laughs) Anna's just nodding and smiling. (laughs) Wow. So you got... (laughs) So your grit score ranges from zero to five, and you got a 4.2... You scored higher than about 80% of American adults in a recent study. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so I guess basically not surprised, really. my hypo- <laughs> hypothesis was correct. <laughs> Very scientific. <laughs> okay. So now you're... Um, you're preparing to leave Korea, right? To do, um, to go to law school. Yeah. Well, I've applied to schools. I've gotten to three. Yeah. I'm still waiting to hear from many. <laughs> yeah. Who knows when I'll find out. <laughs> Can you tell us about, like, why law? Um, that's like, <laughs> I've written essays about it and I've, like, had to interview with that question, but I still find it. Uh, difficult to answer because I feel like depending on um, yeah I, there are like lots of ways you could answer it for like um, this is like a career that I think I could have or like these are the values I have and how I want to pursue them um, anyway so yeah my answer changes a lot but I think um, for me it's like connected to my identity as an adoptee I think like as adoptees that like went through the international adoption system maybe you're like the process of having gone through a system like that maybe makes you prone to see some of the problems with it and as I think maybe people that live here also would feel that um acutely so in terms of like wanting to see sort of like different kind types of change or like different outcomes in the world and thinking that potentially 
law can be an avenue for pursuing different, yeah, different. Yeah. Mm. So I know that like earlier, uh, no, late last year, you, um, with a number of other adoptees who live here in Seoul, you attended um, Adam Crasper's trial. Mm-hmm. Can you just, um, I, I wasn't able to make it, but can you tell us like, what did that feel like? Was that meaningful for you? Yeah, um, yeah. I think one of the reasons why it was meaningful was just that the turnout, the community turnout was so mm-hmm. big. Um, so I wasn't like directly involved with Adoptees for Justice or anything that was actually organizing around it, um, but was just showing up as a supporter as a lot of other people did. Um, and I just think there was something that was really important about it and, um, and symbolic to have like that many people showing up for this yeah. preliminary hearing, um, just because it's so visible. And as adoptees who look Korean, um, I think it's like easy for us to like disappear almost because we're just not, we don't stick out always in Korean culture. And so to have us all um, showing up there and saying like, we're here and we're affected by this. This is like a community issue and an individual issue Yeah, um, for me felt really powerful to see. Um, and then one other thing that I really liked about it was that they, some of the organizers were doing... Um, live time um, interpretation in a Google document (laughs) Um, because like legal Korean is really hard to follow and like even my Korean is pretty decent but like there's like a formal way of speaking and a lot of words that I just wasn't familiar with and so um, people were like jotting down notes in this document live time so that everyone could follow it and understand the proceedings Mm. and that felt like this really cool kind of little act of resistance you know it wasn't like they had like an official court translator there but that like the adopt but that adoptees had gathered and were doing it themselves for the community yeah. was was really cool to see. Has it also been meaningful for you to um, live here and be actively involved in the adoptee community here? Yeah, I think yeah, I, I couldn't really imagine my life in Korea without the adoptee community. I mean, well, I mean, I'm dating an adoptee and most of my friends are adoptees <laughs> and like. Um, so yeah, I think like, um, a Korea without the adoptee community just wouldn't feel like Korea to me. Um, and like, even when I'm thinking about leaving to like, almost all of my memories of what Korea is are like, I don't know, just combined with my identity as an adoptee and and being a member of the community here. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's fun. It's meaningful. (laughs) Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, um having met your Korean mom about five years ago now, what's that like, like, deciding to leave? Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> so don't have to hard. No, no, it's fine. Um, hmm. So sh- she knows that I'm going to school. She knows that mm. school is three years long. Mm. Um, I told her that I'm going to want to get a job in the States afterwards because um, that's where I'll be licensed to work. Um, but I think she also, and she's right that, and to think that it's possible for me to come back after that and get a job here. Um, I don't know that I would want to do that necessarily, but it is an option. So, um, yeah, I think it's tricky. Like we're not closing any doors, but we're also not making any guarantees that like, um, that I'll come back. Yeah. I mean, I'll certainly come back to visit. Like I hope to come back maybe once a year. Yeah. Um, but certainly it'll be different when I go back mm. to the States, yeah. These next two questions, I feel like I I ask these to 
to anyone that's um, you know leaving Korea after living here for an extended period of time. But what do you think you might miss the most about living here? And also, do you feel ready to leave? Mm. Okay. <laughs> As an American, I will miss the free um, and really great public transit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also the affordable health care. Because <laughs> 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 I won't have access to either of those things when I go back. Um, but yeah, and then in like a sappy way, I mean, I'll miss, um, I'll miss like blending in when I want to blend in. Like that's one of the things I like about living here is that um, you can choose to be invisible when you want to be. Whereas I feel like you don't really have the agency to do that in the States. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll definitely miss that. And then I'll miss, I think I'll miss the adoptee community. <laughs> I mean, it's such a big part of my life here. I mean, I haven't had it in the States either. So like, I don't, I don't know if it's the type of thing where when you go back, you didn't have, um, this community in that context and so maybe you won't miss it in the same way. But I think like the shorthand that we adoptees that live in Korea have with each other for like everyday frustrations and, um, like what it means to us to live here. Like there's just... You're, I, yeah, I feel like you're always shortcutting it because you just kind of understand the other person to a certain extent. Whereas when I'm even meeting with like good friends from college, um, and they'll be like, "What is it like?" You know, <laughs> it's, the questions are different and the context is different, so I'll miss that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot what was the other one. Um, do you feel ready to leave, oh. uh, at least partially, or? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I feel I feel partially ready. Um, I mean, yeah, there's lots of stuff that I will miss. Also, I miss clean air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's so bad lately in the past few years. Um, but I think for me, it's like a personality thing too. Like I'm always kind of like, there's always like a project or a thing ahead and that helps me stay focused on something else. So right now, because law school is like the next thing on the horizon, it's allowing me to focus on that and not what it means to leave a whole life behind. <laughs> Maybe I'll process that later. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so you'll be leaving pretty much six years then after yeah. you came. So twice yeah. what you intended. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Do you think, I'm curious, I mean, maybe this is just a, a really big, broad question, but, like, how do you think this chapter of, of your life has been what you expected it to be and... Or like really not what you expected. I mean, I guess you probably didn't expect to be leaving here as as an accomplished runner and like <laughs> married to an adoptee, and you know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I truly think I came with zero expectations because of the sheer lack of planning. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I came with zero expectations, but also probably couldn't have predicted how anything happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things were okay. <laughs> <laughs> so to finish up, and only if you feel comfortable um, about talking about this, you're getting married soon. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, not because I think uh, my fiance and I will abruptly break up, but because of COVID-19, which is oh. rampaging across the world, and maybe a lot of our loved ones can't make it to the wedding, so oh, that is yeah. kind of a problem. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> um, 
Oh, yeah, well, fingers crossed <laughs> yeah. things will, like, uh, kind of slow down here a bit here in Korea. And, um, uh, but, <laughs> but you're planning to have the wedding in Seoul mm-hmm. rather than in the U.S. And I understand that um, all four of your families, so your birth family and adoptive family and uh, your partner's birth family and adoptive family, We'll all be coming together <laughs> for this momentous <laughs> occasion. Yeah. And it will be the first time that, like... Any of those four have met? Different pairings have met, oh, but okay. not everyone all together. Wow. Yeah. It'll be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Like, so, truthfully, um, when I was researching wedding venues and we were, like, talking about them and deciding... It actually was high up on our list of considerations that we had a wedding that people could get smashed at and still get home safely, and also that they were going (laughs) to, and also that there were going to be norebangs like nearby that we could go to. We're going to need a big one though. Huge. We asked our planners to help us find one that can fit fifty people. if we would be willing to split into several rooms and we were like no (laughs) Um, yeah so we've got this like cool outdoor venue kind of near Pongde it's not necessarily like a traditional wedding venue but you can do a wedding there and yeah we'll have all of the families together and we're still working out the details um, for like how to do languages and whether oh, to yeah. translate them and like what aspects of Korean ceremonies to do and of American ceremonies. Cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, is part of it going to be seated? Like, do you have to like sort out who sits next to who? So we. Oh, that's. Oh, it's been so interesting trying to plan because um, like the two styles of weddings are so different. Yeah. So we wanted to do seating arrangements because like it's kind of like this grand social experiment when you get to put all these people <laughs> together that have never met, you know. And you're kind of like, how can I like match make these two people? Or like these people might like each other. We should put them together. Or like these friends would get along. Or like we must separate these two groups, you know. <laughs> but then our. Um, like, Korean family and the Korean planner that we're working with was like, you absolutely cannot ask for RSVPs. That would be so rude. <laughs> so, oh. so we can't make a seating chart. We're, we, yeah, we've settled for this idea of, like, tables with groups of people, which for me kind of takes the fun out of it. So, like, because they want it to be like, oh, this is, like, the table for Lauren's coworkers. This is the table for Matt's coworkers. This is, like, friends from home. So they want it to be, like... Which also strikes me as very Korean to sort of stay in your little social circles uh-huh. and keep it that uh-huh. way. Um, but we have exciting plans for breaking that up, <laughs> which is we're going to do a feats of strength section. <laughs> sorry, sorry, what? <laughs> oh, I'm calling it feats of strength. Feats of strength. Feats of strength. Um, Sounds like a physical challenge. Sort of. <laughs> so... Um, it's optional, but to get people to get people to like listen up a little um, after the dinner portion, which will still be seated, and maybe to let people drink a little bit more if they want to, we're gonna have like these sort of contests. So um, arm wrestling and, <laughs> and leg wrestling. <laughs> What is leg wrestling? Oh, it's it's like you do it in Korea. So like two people sit in chairs in front of each other with their legs. Um, it's like one person has their legs on the outside, and the other person puts their knees and their legs inside the other person's. And then on the count of three, the person on the outside tries to slam their knees together, and the person on the inside tries to tries to break their legs open by pushing outward. Oh, we've 
This is <laughs> I'm excited to try. Yes. Well, also, the reason why we're doing this is um, we leg wrestle with Matt's Korean family every time we go down oh, to okay. there to visit them. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. Yeah, so, so it's, it's like it's nothing, like, it's nothing yeah. like an icebreaker and than like trying to shove someone's thighs <laughs> together with your own. <laughs> um, and beer shotgunning because I'm actually very proud of my ability to shotgun beers very quickly. Um, so Which is kind of like a, it's a running tradition, right? Like a post-run kind of. It's not. Thing. No, oh. it's just like a, a drunk college days sort of oh, thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway. you could like legitimize that by saying it's a running. Uh, oh yeah, tradition. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe I should say. And that. a stair climbing tradition. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll say stair stair climbing because no one really does that. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> but it's so, not real. Just curious, so why is, uh, so RSVPs are like considered rude in Korea yeah. rather than just practical? As our, <laughs> um, as our planner and Matt's family explained to us, it's considered like an imposition on them to ask them to decide in advance that they're going to come because like maybe they would wake up on the day of the wedding and decide they can come. Oh, okay. And then they can't. Yeah. yeah. That makes organizing things pretty fucking hard. <laughs> I, I guess this is... Nightmare. <laughs> I guess this is, like, within the the co context of Korean weddings, where it's just, like, um, you invite, like, every man and his dog, and you just, like... <laughs> you just turn up, and it's, like, a buffet, and then it's, like, all over, like, in an hour or something. You yeah, know, it's... Exactly. How do you know there'll yeah. be enough food? Like? Well, because it's in, like, basically... Oh. I don't know the Australian equivalent. I was going to say Izzy's, which is like an American buffet chain, or like an Ashley's. Have you been to Ashley's here? Maybe Sizzler, which like went out of business in Australia, but anyway, for our Australian listeners, okay. perhaps something like Sizzler. <laughs> so it's like the wedding is on one floor, and then you all go down to the buffet, which is like, they can just churn out all the food. Uh, okay. And usually there's multiple weddings, guests, all they're eating. So you're all just like wow. mixing and mingling and doing, it's like a restaurant basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So impersonal. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <I'll> like <laughs> but it's hard, right? So, for example, I have to. Well, by if I was being very polite, which maybe I'll be rude. I haven't decided. I would invite my entire office, which is fifty-four people. But if I can't ask who's coming or not, like that is actually that could be a third of our entire capacity. If, if for example, everyone came. Yeah. yeah. But it, yeah, it does make planning quite difficult. And for the Norimon, too. I know. How do you, like... What if we need a room for a hundred people? Exactly. <laughs> um, I think maybe, as, like, maybe this is the final question, um, but I was kind of curious, and you don't have to give this away, but... So we know that um, you have a dog that you got while you were living in Korea, Bilbo, and I know that you've mentioned that, like... Bilbo has like taught you a lot about unconditional love, <laughs> but my question is, uh, like, do you think Bilbo will have a special role in your wedding? Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like cringing a little because he's such a sweet dog and I love him more than anything. But when he's outdoors, he gets a little wild, <laughs> and so if we gave him a responsibility, I feel like he would ruin the wedding. <laughs> Like, he would bite someone important, or, like, lose the ring, or, like, oh. I don't know. It would be a disaster. He also, um, especially when he's outdoors, and our wedding is outdoors, 
is really fond of like running at you full speed and then I've never seen a dog do this he jumps full in the air so like all four feet are off the ground and then he'll kick you with his bottom feet <laughs> and it's like he's really a powerful dog so it actually is like he's like almost knocked me over before so I also feel like I'll be wearing this nice white dress and he'll be outdoors and he's just gonna like ninja kick me and get like just dirt everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's very strong because he trains with you, right? <laughs> we run a lot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a very fit dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks thank for chatting with me. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star rating and or write us a review. Okay, so this sounds like really arrogant, but I'm just saying it's like, but what about people who are already a little bit shy to sing in front of others? It's like, so... <laughs> are you saying it's arrogant because you have no shyness well, whatsoever? I mean... I, for example, will be okay just in front of 50 others. <laughs> but other people might not be. <laughs> anyway. Well, there's always um, liquid courage. <laughs> or um, I feel like you pick a really shouty group song that everyone knows. And oh, there's yes. There's no pressure. Yes. Yeah. Of course, yes. Solos are optional. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of just nails. <laughs> no, no, not. <laughs> Matt really likes to give Hannah, like, the heart, like, the most difficult songs. Like, he'll put on Adele and just hand Hannah the mic and start yeah, telling her Yeah, or, like, name. Whitney Houston. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, whose song is this? And it's like, oh, I put Hannah's. this in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, just, can I interrupt? Do you have, do you... You and your partner have, like, your, I don't, you don't have to share it, but, like, your wedding Noribang song that you guys are going to sing together. Well, we have our two standbys. Mm. Hannah probably knows this because she's been to Noribang <laughs> with us many times, but we might have to practice doing them. Like a duet. Yeah, Ooh, well, nice. because, for example, there's this one Korean song that we often sing together, however, there are, like, three different versions of it. Um, all with the same artist because there's like a live version and a studio version yeah. and like an acoustic version <laughs> and we never seem to get it right because <laughs> we like have never I don't know sat down and figured out which number is exactly the one that we need and so it's it's actually quite um, a disaster because like one of them is this really nice gentle acoustic version that stays low but the other one is kind of like this journey-esque rocker where you have to go up like three different octaves each <laughs> anyway um, so we don't know but you maybe have an idea, and we must practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna be so cute. We never fail to like talk about Noribang on this podcast. Like, like, you managed to like shove those questions in. <laughs> 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 <laughs>